morning. Welcome uh, Church 21 and uh, Reach Montreal. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Um, my name is Brian Alton. I'm a pastor here at Church 21. And uh, I, uh, I, I pastor out of the West Island with Jeff uh, Wright. And I also uh, run a counseling ministry uh, in, in, in uh, full time uh, as well. And uh, so we're so glad you're here. I'm so glad that I get to be here. This is amazing. Um, obviously, we love to be able to connect with people. This is not an ideal situation to be on screen, but we're doing the best that we can. And we're so glad that you've taken the time to uh, join us this morning. Uh, so as a, as a counselor, as a biblical counselor, I get asked a lot of questions. And largely it's about uh, listening and asking questions and pointing folks towards the truth uh, about Jesus and, and their hope. Uh, his, great, his great and precious promises. And uh, sometimes we don't actually know what questions to ask. Um, and sometimes we're wa asking the wrong questions entirely. This is just something, uh, this is part of the counseling process, part of the Christian walk, because we, we need to find a way for God to shape our questions and, 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 and what we need and what we desire. Um, Last week, uh, we were in uh, uh, the previous, uh, a previous text in Mark, and we actually saw a great example of folks who were asking the wrong questions of Jesus. They, you had uh, uh, this, this vignette of James and John uh, making demands, actually, of Jesus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Make us, uh, make us important. Give us a, a place of position in your kingdom, Jesus. And uh, Jesus uh, rebuked them, and Jesus said, no, uh, I didn't come here to, uh, to be served, but I came to serve, and so I'm calling you to a life of service and not a position of authority. Uh, Jesus, so here we have now a new a vignette. Uh, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, and we find ourselves uh, starting in verse 46. It says, and they came to Jericho. So now they've already set out on their, on their journey. On Jesus is heading towards uh, Jericho, or towards Jerusalem, and they're, then they're passing by Jericho. And it says, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great, uh, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So you have this group of people that's traveling with Jesus. Uh, they're moving towards Jerusalem. Dwight pointed it out last week. I love this image, and I want us always to remember this, especially when we're, when we're looking at the, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Jesus is not reluctantly being dragged to Jerusalem to die on the cross for us. He is marching ever so purposefully, directly, in, in every, every way. It's all a part of his mission to go and die on the cross for us. And we should see that as the, the, the way we need to pursue uh, Jesus, the way we need to pursue obedience with Christ, the way we need to pursue dying to self and living for him because he died uh, so that we could live. 
It's really important that we see this, especially in the narrative as Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. So he's with his disciples, and it says that he's with a great crowd. And this great crowd was probably also a group of people who were following Jesus. Um, and then enters this other person that, we, that gets mentioned. It's uh, Bartimaeus, uh, son of Timaeus, uh, a blind beggar, right? Uh, and so... Um, what we can get from this, and I love this, I love that they called Bartimaeus a blind beggar. Because he was both blind, obviously, and poor. And this can be said as well of us. All humans, everyone. There's things that we lack and there are things that we don't see. And so we are blind to some of those things. And when folks come to me for counseling, for example, they have a lot of questions. And they're asking oftentimes me, but, uh, and I try, to, I try to explain to them, it's not me, it's Jesus that's going to resolve them. But a, a lot of my time, a large portion of my time is helping counselees ask the right questions. When we're in the midst of a crisis in our lives, we tend to focus on relief of the problem. Often, we're blind to the real problem that we have, which is actually not the, which, which is not actually the problem that we think it is. Right? We are like blind beggars. Blind beggars lack money, food, and security. We lack the tools necessary oftentimes to step back and see things as they are, and so we need help. Uh, James 4, it's a favorite passage of mine, comes up a lot in scripture, uh, in, in counseling for me. He says that you don't ask, you ask but you don't receive and you, you, uh, because you ask wrongly and you spend it on your passions. This is largely how we all approach this desire for help. We see a problem and we want relief from the problem. But what we need to do is see that it's about moving from worship of outcomes, worship of relief of the problem, and moving towards worship of Jesus and the outcomes that Jesus wants to have in our lives. So this is why I, I, I'm talking obviously from a biblical counseling perspective, but this is why we need community. And this is why actually it's so hard right now because of the things that are going on around us and the, the ways that community is being impeded and, and it removes those natural cues of being cared for and, and shepherded by the people around us. And so we should have a lament for that. We, we, need to, we need to see that there's a brokenness in being housed up and cooped up and separated and unable to gather. Uh, people around us can walk with us and help us see our blindness and help us see our need, which, is, which illustrates that we have a poverty and who we need and what we need. Like Bartimaeus, we, we struggle to figure out life. We're blind beggars. So we get back to Bartimaeus. And it says in verse 47, And when he heard, Bartimaeus heard, it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
They, the crowd, were annoyed. Now, this crowd, we don't know if this crowd was new people who came on after Jesus had talked about serving and, or even the time back, and I actually preached on this, I was fortunate to do so, uh, where Jesus said, let the children come to me, right? We don't know if they had heard that message or not, but they're there, the crowd and the disciples. We don't know who it is that's actually telling Bartimaeus to, to, to back off, but once again, they're showing this uh, sense of position, right? Like somehow they're saying, no, we don't want to give you access to Jesus. It seems that they don't fully understand Jesus' call to serve in previous texts. So the question then we have to ask ourselves is, are we gatekeepers for Jesus? To those, are, are we gatekeepers to those who have yet to consider Jesus? Are we gatekeepers to our brothers and sisters who, who know Jesus? How do we make ourselves gatekeepers? So sometimes, there's, and it's a, largely a pride issue, we see ourselves as greater than we are. That's pride. And we, we live our lives as Christians before others. Uh, the way we live our lives can be a hindrance to them, um, especially those who don't know Jesus. I'm all for calling folks to repent. I've done it myself. It, it's something that's very important. And I think that there are Christians who are uniquely positioned uh, in places of influence and are given that mandate. I think that as someone who's for the first time engaging on a live stream on Sunday and hearing me, and, and, uh, and, my, and if I'm calling them to repent, that's okay. But it's weird. There's this, there's this group of people that kind of set themselves up as some weird social media moral authority. And they've taken it upon themselves in, with almost graceless legalism to shout into a void to their five Facebook friends that agree with them, right? That, uh, and, and, and it totally creates a barrier between uh, those who would consider Jesus, right, and, 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 and Jesus himself, right? It, it, if this is what Jesus looks like, I don't want to be a part of it because this guy doesn't sound loving at all. You know, so, so we're, they're met with this unloving uh, rebuke, like the crowd in our passage today. Like Bartimaeus and the crowd in our passage today. There's also a false pride, though, that we can have. I just want to talk about another part of our hearts that kind of gets messed up from time to time. We, we, it's this false humility. I don't know enough. Oh, I don't know the Bible like I should. I'm struggling with stuff for myself, so how can I speak into the lives of others, right? Or maybe if I speak boldly or if I say something to someone, they're going to reject me. So we don't, right? We create another barrier. Again, we become a gatekeeper for Jesus, but this is something that's happening inwardly. And we put stumbling blocks, and it's the, actually the enemy who's putting a stumbling block in our head to try to impede the, the advancement of the gospel. But if that's you today, pray for boldness. Pray for God to remove those barriers in your heart. And pray for God to give you opportunities where you can share the gospel with other people with grace and love. We need to approach people with boldness about Jesus. Then there's another, another barrier that we create. How do we, as blind beggars, make obstacles for ourselves? Uh, we think or convince ourselves, and I think that this is also the, you know, uh, the enemy speaking lies into our hearts. We can't ask for help. I don't need help. I don't want help. 
right? No, I'll figure this out all on my own, right? And uh, if people knew that I was suffering or struggling, guess what? They'd reject me. If they knew this was the sin that I, that I had, they'd probably tell me I'd had to go away, right? They're going to they're gonna turn me away. They're going to not love me. If somebody knew everything about me, maybe they just wouldn't love me. That's simply not true. That's simply not true. We need to believe that God and the Spirit is at work in the, in the hearts of the people around us in our Christian community. And we're all broken, blind beggars that need Jesus. And so we need to be able to see our need as well for Jesus. We, we become Christians and we don't suddenly become Christians and no longer need to hear the gospel. We need to hear it all the time and we need to be reminded all the time. Like Bartimaeus, we need to humble ourselves and persistently pursue Jesus in spite of the obstacles before us. We have to pursue it. And Jesus tells a parable in, uh, in the book of Luke. It's another uh, version of the gospel story about Jesus. In chapter 18, he talks about this persistent widow. And I'll read it. He says, and he told them a parable in the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, sorry, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to this elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Now, the good news is that we know that Jesus is God, that he is righteous, and that he is a respectable man. So how much more would Jesus want to do for us? And Jesus asked this rhetorical question, will he, Jesus, find faith on earth? And in this story of Bart- Bartimaeus, this little vignette, this little, you know, almost blip of an event on the way to Jerusalem, it would seem the answer to that question is, yes, there will be people who have faith in the Son of Man. And those who have faith will persistently ask. And we so we need to persistently ask. Um, I just, it reminds me of this, uh, the, my own story. Um, when I was, um, it, when I began in ministry, uh, I knew that I was going to be doing some sort of like shepherding care, counseling thing that wasn't clear. It started to become clear and I started moving towards it. And all along I thought it was going to happen today. I thought it was going to happen today. I thought it was like, okay, this is the week, Lord. This is the week it's going to happen. This is great. Let's do this. And it doesn't happen. And year after year after year, it doesn't happen. And I'm like, Lord, why isn't this happening? But I keep pursuing because it's either I didn't hear God right, either like somehow I have no faith in God, which that's the enemy telling me that's some, there's something wrong with you. Um, and I, I, just, I just kept moving. I don't even know why. There were times where it just totally didn't even make sense to move forward. 
But finally, you know, and it's weird, it's just, it's just this past year that God has finally permitted me to move forward. I was persistent, begging, crying, Lord, can we do this? Lord, I, I'll stop asking to do this as this is not what you want me to do this. And he never said stop asking. And like the persistent widow, like Bartimaeus, I was like, Jesus, would you, would you help me? And finally, he did help me, but it wasn't because it wasn't the help that was the the release or the the relief. It wasn't getting the help. It, all those years, it was about Jesus showing me who he was, and me falling deeper and deeper in love with him, and the giver of these things, and not to find myself in a place when I finally am doing the things that I want to do as saying, yay, Jesus is good because I got what I wanted out of him. We can't have that. And Jesus wouldn't have me run a ministry with that in my heart. It's not about outcomes. It's about worship. And Jesus responds to Bartimaeus And Jesus stopped and he said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. So it's weird. It's like we can kind of like imagine, I guess we're so conditioned by sitcoms. It's like, no, no, don't come. Jesus says, no, let him come. Okay, you can come. You know, it's like this kind of weird comedic kind of thing that's happening in scripture right now. But it's really important. Like I know I'm making jokes, but we want to hear, like even though it's the crowd that says, take heart, get up, he is calling you. These are the words that we all need to hear in our day-to-day life. Take heart, get up. He's calling you. We need to believe that Jesus is calling each and every one of us. And so Bartimaeus' response is he's excited. He throws off his cloak and he springs up and he runs to Jesus. Now, this is cool because like we see in, when we were looking at the rich young man, the rich young man indignantly ran up to Jesus. This was something that was you know, looked on as like, hey, what's, why is this guy acting kind of like foolish in a way? But again, it was showing and illustrating some desire to have childlike faith. Children run up to Jesus. That is what Jesus wants. He wants us to have this childlike excitement as we move towards him. And so Bartimaeus, knowing who Jesus is, or at least in the, in the way he knew Jesus was, he got excited. And he was able to walk up to Jesus or run up to Jesus. He was able to do that. Because he had childlike abandonment and trust that Jesus was going to do something. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. He will receive you. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. The barriers that we talked about earlier, there are no barriers between you and Jesus because he has removed them through his life, death, and resurrection. He removed every barrier between you and him. He wants to rescue you. And as we put our faith and trust in him, all of those barriers are removed. But in our text, something else is important. And it's important for us to see. We need to know who we are asking. Sorry about that. We need to know who we are asking. 
Two times in verses 47 and 48, Bartimaeus calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We can't move off of the importance of what he's saying here. The son of David is a messianic term. The Jews had hope that there was a coming Messiah. There are many things that we could say about who the Messiah is and what the Messiah is going to do. But specifically to our passage, there's a few that I want to point out. In Isaiah, when, there's, when Isaiah is prophesying about the, uh, about the Messiah in uh, chapter 11, verse 4, it says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So Bartimaeus is already thinking, if, I mean, he, if he knows his Bible or if he remembers anything that was taught in synagogue up to this point, is that with righteousness, the Messiah is going to judge the poor, meaning he's going to look upon the poor and decide with equity what they need. He's going to know exactly what they need, and he's going to meet their need. In Psalm 72, it says in verse 12, for he delivers the needy. When he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. This is the vision that, it, that the, the, the first century uh, Jews had of this coming Messiah. This was something that they, this son of, son of David was something that was very present on their minds. That this Messiah would come and rescue them in, so, in some, some certain way. And this, in his perfect, perfect righteousness, the Messiah, again, based on who he is, not uh, necessarily on what he can do, but who he is, he does things, he rescues the poor, he makes the deaf hear and the blind see, and he takes a bunch of lowly beggars like you and I who have no status and redeems their life. He does that for us. He did that for Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus having some sense of that Jesus is the Messiah that they were hoping for calls to him with that same hope. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then we skip back, we go forward to uh, verse 51 again. And Jesus said to him, what do you want to do, me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So Bartimaeus has some idea of who he was asking for help. Again, he was calling him Jesus, son of David. And not just in a small way, he was hoping in the Messiah. And so he asked for what he thought he could get from the Messiah. The Messiah would give sight to the blind. I'm going to ask for that. Why not? That's my problem. That's what I need. And Jesus gave them that, but Jesus gave him so much more. Unlike the rich young man who walked away sad, we, it is said here that Bartimaeus followed Jesus. The rich young man could not follow Jesus because there was a hindrance to faith and belief in Jesus in order to trust in him that with everything in his life, yet it seems here that Bartimaeus 
is the complete opposite. He's able to do that. He, in faith, is able to believe and follow Jesus. Just the fact that Mark, who's the writer of this gospel, some 20 years after Jesus' death, is talking about the son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, by name, is evidence that the readers that he's writing to knew who he was. They knew of him. And it gives us a sense that they knew that he was part of the family of God. When we have problems, we tell people, turn to Jesus. Are they seeing Jesus as a, merely a dispenser of gifts? Are we? Or do we see him as someone else? You know, we, uh, we talk about, let's say, so now, I don't know if you're getting to go on vacation, but it's rare. I know in our home, we're not, we're not on vacation much these days. And, but yes, there's this dream for going on vacation, right? And just think about it. Imagine, like, you want to go to some place. I want to visit Europe, right? So, like, yeah, Europe. So, we go to Europe, right? But, you know, day five, you wake up, and, ah, oh, the cafe is closed, or something happened. I got robbed. I lost my wallet. You know, five years back, we don't look at our trip to Europe and say, yeah, but, you know, this bad thing happened. Right? We look at the big picture. I had a great time in Europe. Five years ago, I went to Europe. It was awesome. I didn't actually go to Europe, by the way. I want to go. I do want to go. But what I'm trying to say is sometimes we get too hyper-focused on the details of what's, pro- what's problematic, and we forget what's actually being offered and the, and the bigger picture, especially with Jesus. Right? Imagine... If a rich entrepreneur came up to you and said, like Jesus said, uh, what can I do for you? Your response would probably be determined by who he was, how much money you thought he had, right? And, 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 and what you could get from him and, and his ability to follow through. Uh, and you could, it could also be a neighbor kid who comes knocking on your door and he says, Hi, mister, what can I do for you? And he's like, well, okay, you're a little kid. I, I guess you could probably shovel my snow. Monday... Look for the neighbor kids. They're going to want to shovel your snow. Um, but that's, that's to the extent that we would ask what they could do is based on what we think they can offer us and their uh, ability to follow through. Yet the important thing that we must get from this text today and what we know about Jesus is that Jesus is here today. And if we've been paying attention in the book of Mark all along, what we know is that Jesus has established that he has the authority over all things. And that he has the power to do things that we could never imagine that anybody could do. Because he is God. It is part of his nature in his holiness and his goodness and his graciousness. Everything that comes out of Jesus is for us. And now he has this messianic mandate of making all things new. And Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? And often our answer betrays our understanding of who he is and what he can do. Married couples come to me all the time. They say, fix my marriage, fix my wife, fix my husband. Right? That's nearsighted. It's nearsighted. They need help, but most of all, each one of them needs Jesus. They need to believe in him and worship. We need to put away the obstacles that we've created and and, and believe. Belief is trust that Jesus is who he says he is and that he responds with what we need and worship of him over everything else.
That's our response. Should be worship of him over everything else. Worship of Jesus over outcomes. Worship of Jesus begins to rewire our hearts. And it shapes our desires and our, exper- and our experience and our troubles co- is completely different. When we, um, when we know that Jesus is present in our suffering, it changes everything. People who do not know Jesus do not have that. Jesus is not present with them. This is why we should desire to remove the obstacles that we create and show people who Jesus is and what he wants to do for them. He wants to be present in their suffering. Does Jesus heal? Yes, he does. Does Jesus help us with things that we have trouble with? Of course he does. But the whole point is not the relief of those things, but the worship of Jesus. When we have our eyes fixed on him, we start to see others the way he sees them. And we have compassion. We have love and service. Scripture does say that Jesus, the Messiah, wants to give sight to the blind and care for the poor, but he wants to do so much more. The big picture is that Jesus wants to rescue us. He wants us to belong to him, to be part of his, part of his family, to be reconciled with God. John the Baptist asked, you know, Jesus, are you, are you the Messiah that everyone is talking about? Jesus in Luke says that, you know, uh, I have, it, Jesus has already said to many people that I came uh, to, to give sight to the blind and, and, and care for the poor and set captives free, yet John the Baptist didn't get that, right? But he didn't get to be set free. But he died knowing that Jesus was much more than his freedom from jail. Much more than freedom from jail. And Jesus is much more than that for you. He gives us himself and he wants, us to, give a, he wants to give us a new life with, with him. Uh, just to give you guys a bit of a spoiler. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, we're going to be, and this this is prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. Spoiler alert. Next week we're going to be talking about this. Jesus is the Messiah who enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus is the Messiah who who they should have expected but didn't. Jesus wants to rescue us but not always in the way we expect. Jesus calls us. He, we can, even though he didn't say these words, but we can, we, we know that Jesus calls us to take heart, get up and follow him. To see him as the one who has the power to save, the power to hear and not hope in the healing, but in Jesus alone who has the power to heal. And the question is, and I leave you with this today, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Worship Jesus and believe that he will respond to you in ways that you never expected and do far more for you than you could ever imagine. Let me pray. Father God, We know that you are a good God. Lord, remove our blindness.
Lord, in our poverty, show us our need for you. Lord, help us to remove the obstacles in our hearts and in our minds to faith and trust in you. Help us to not be obstacles to others as they consider you. Lord, we need you. Help us to ask the right questions. Help us to ask, the, ask knowing that the one that we were, are asking is infinitely good and glorious and gracious and is holy and desires good for us and for your glory. Lord, change our hearts. Lord, we pray as you ask us what you want us to what you want to do for us that our response is to be present. To see you as more and more glorious every day. We thank you Jesus for what you've done for us. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.